Mona. No. Jälla, keskustellaan vähän. No niin, jälla, jälla viina. Tämä on Parfyymin tuulahdus. Podcast suomalaisesta arabinaiseudesta. Mä olen Mona Eid. Ja mä olen Koko Hubara. Tässä jaksossa me puhutaan queer-arabiudesta ja meillä on haastattelussa Ruotsissa asuva queer-aktivisti Dalia Alfagal. Egyptiläinen Dalia on avoimesti lesbo ja on sen takia joutunut muuttamaan Ruotsiin. Hello Dalia. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Um, for all our listeners, uh, can you please introduce yourself? Who are you? Okay, I uh, I'm a queer activist. Um, I am from Egypt originally. I grew up in Saudi Arabia, but I moved to Egypt um, for university. Um, well, I moved back. I stayed there until 2014, uh, which is after post the revolution time and after the coup uh, in 2013. And I have been living in different places. So I lived a bit in South Africa. I lived in Mexico City and I lived in Sweden, then went to the States, then came back to Sweden. So I had a quite crazy journey <laughs> traveling around. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. I I identify as agendered, but I don't have specific pronouns. Um, and that's it. Hmm. Yeah. Can it, uh, can you tell us what took you to Sweden in the last place, or now that you are there? <laughs> yeah. So what took me to Sweden? Uh, when I first came to Sweden, I came for my partner. Then uh, we met in Egypt, and then we lived together for some time, and then I moved to Sweden. Not directly, but yeah. Well took some time and then I moved to Sweden. Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, how I kind of found you, I think maybe I was uh, reading Egyptian Streets or another Egyptian uh, kind of expat magazine or, or online newspaper. And I remember that there was um, an article about you and then I started following you on the social media. And uh You very explicitly at some point when you were, I don't know where, you came out as a lesbian. So could you tell us about that? So, um, well, I came out uh, uh, as someone who has a female partner. And of course, uh, I'm perceived as a woman. So, of course, also a lesbian. And that's how I identified. Um, I was in the States and I I was posting a photo of me and um, the person I was with, uh, who identifies as a female. Um, I don't know now, <laughs> but then. Um, and I uh, was super happy because uh, my father congratulated me. Uh, and yeah, he said Mabruk in Arabic, which is congratulations. And I was super proud because this is something I didn't see coming at all from my father. Um, 
he he wasn't the most welcoming person at all um and it wasn't even about sexuality it was about everything that i was um i grew up in a society that is quite conservative i moved out from my family family's uh, house when i was 21 and that was a huge step that led to him not talking to me or if he would talk to me he would threaten me so it was quite a rough ride to come to the point that he would or he accepts me it was a miracle yeah how i have to ask how was how were queer matters discussed in your childhood do you ever remember hearing about them or people around you having conversations about gay people or anything like that well <laughs> okay <laughs> it was already uh, it was sorry always in the form of insult so if uh for example we were watching a movie and some queer effeminate character comes along and then yeah acts in a certain way or express his gender in a certain way usually a male of course because mm -hmm. that's what is really uh, the society worried about i would hear stuff like ah this faggot the the mm -hmm. stuff like that so it was always always associated with with uh, discrimination Mm. So in this climate, uh, it would be interesting to know, uh, I mean, what gave you the courage somehow to make yourself out, even if it happened in a diaspora when you were living in the States? Uh, well, I was relatively out since a long time. So it wasn't me just coming out all of a sudden. I was out to uh, my circle or circles in Egypt. Uh, I came out to myself when I was 22, I think, officially. I was like, okay, <laughs> I cannot adhere to this. I'm, I'm not feeling uh, the same way as the majority of people or everyone pretty much that it was everyone around me. I didn't have so many queer people, no, not many queer friends. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a journey of letting more people know bit by bit uh the more i feel safe the more i let more people know about who i who i who am i and how i identify so yeah it was a process mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh what i've followed in the egyptian discussion or media and etc uh it's it seems that queerness is always attributed to Western influence and somehow dismissed as something that it's not inherent in like Arab or Muslim countries. What do you think of this claim? Uh, I think this claim is quite ignorant and maybe it's mainly because of oral history and how history was transferred to us because we don't really know what was going on back in the day and I'm quite positive that there were a lot of queer uh, persons from the Arabic culture, like the Arabic history and before that and different civilizations that came to Egypt. 
and in the diaspora in general. So, um, so I, I don't think this is true. Maybe one of the problems that we have in the region uh, and in Egypt in particular is we don't have definitions. We, we lack the language. We don't have wording uh, to define certain things. And we just fill into boxes. I mean, like the rest of the world, but we didn't get out or there wasn't much of work done on that. Mm. And what about the Arabic language or the 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 conversation around these issues? Is it developing somehow? Are there new words coming out? And are there like... Are people creating words that are not insulting in Egypt uh, or other Arabic-speaking countries around you? Well, yes, but I wouldn't say like normal people are or like not whatever normal means, but uh, I'm saying more it, it's uh, hard work uh, that is coming from queer individuals mm-hmm. uh, who are trying to raise awareness, who are trying to replace the language. For example, I remember in 2017 in some uh, in some even tabloid uh, newspapers uh, I was called Mithlia which is not as insulting as as um, well, uh, abnormal which is shadda mm-hmm. in Arabic and that was kind of improvement there was some um, initiatives that kind of pushed towards that direction and seems seems to work seems to work and and it's it's making progress but it's kind of slow mm-hmm. and of course it's facing a lot of rejection and uh, you were recently writing about also the language of um, the binary uh, and how Arabic as in many languages is very uh, constructed as binaries uh, gendered language how would you see this is there a change coming in that sense as well so we can see see kind of pluralities in the gender pronouns or gender gendered nouns or (laughs) well i just wrote that today so i don't think anything had happened since (laughs) in like two hours (laughs) (laughs) yeah changes social change is not that fast I wish it was. <laughs> we would be unemployed we, so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> We're quick to note the changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. But, uh, well, it it seems to be very complicated in the Arabic language because it's, it's gendered in every single way, mm. in every single way. And to get out of this, I mean, you either need to use the plural pronoun uh, or pronouns uh, that are Kind of, I mean, still, in my opinion, in my very humble opinion, uh, a binary. I, I see them binary because they are talking about the binaries. So unless we dedicate another pronoun and I, well, define it as neutral, that's actually still my issue with the English they Mm-hmm. Mm, maybe in Swedish there are more options, like hen, for example, which mm. is a different pronoun, and it's not really or severely gendered uh, language compared to Arabic. But 
I wish if there was um, a pronoun that is dedicated to no categories or no binaries. If you if you were to suggest a word like that in Arabic, what would it be? Or do know. you have an idea? Because <laughs> this is very interesting. Because I we in even in the Finnish language, which is not very gendered, much like Swedish, mm. it's still very gendered. And then my other language is Hebrew, and it's like Arabic, so it's very very gen- every every single thing is either a female or a male. Yeah. So it's. Uh, interesting to like i <laughs> just like to know like which words because we have to have words to describe ourselves and options for people so what what word would you use i i think i don't know maybe just my name for now mm-hmm. uh, that should work but when it comes to arabic language a friend of mine suggested just don't speak arabic <laughs> <laughs> Wow, oh, that's pretty. <laughs> it's quite radical, straight to the point. <laughs> like zip it, <laughs> just be quiet. Yeah. Until there is a difference, or there is, because I cannot just invent something right now. Uh, well, I could. I mean, if I was drunk, yes, I could. Mm. But um, in general, I don't think it's a one-day work. I think it's an accumulative work and a lot of people need to work together to get it out there because there's so much resistance yeah. um, from the Arabic language institution against any changes, no matter what, let alone something that they don't agree with morally, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's always interesting to speak about languages and also historically how language uh, also changes. So it would be also nice to, um, interesting to see if there would be a reclamation of some kind of word which would be from history, so for example. Yeah. And I was meeting, I was also thinking about the slur, what you mentioned earlier, Hawel. And mm-hmm. like when I was reading history, um, I read about uh, male dancers who used to dress as women in the harems and in Ottoman times, and they were called Hawel. And I'm not sure if that was a slur during that time. And uh, so it's interesting to see if these words have the same connotations throughout times and if we can kind of reclaim the connotations mm-hmm. and the meanings. I'm not saying that this would be the world word in any sense, but I'm just saying that uh, the yeah, time change. a lot of times, mm-hmm. for example, queer people have reclaimed slurs, for example, in the English language that were used as insults. Like and queer. Then, yeah, like queer, <laughs> like the word queer. Yeah. yeah. And many other words. Exactly. Uh, but then at, as, at the same time, someone who's not queer would not be able or allowed to use them but the the people themselves would be able to use them so that those kinds of like yeah like self uh, self reclaiming words in yeah a yeah yeah i i think like uh, well it is um, how like it's exactly the same uh for a lot of uh, arabic terms or terminologies that were used to insult um queer people, transgender people of different kinds. Um, and there is a lot of efforts for reclamation. So I would say that this is also the case right now. Um, and, and and yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's not that, I mean, the development of the queer movement is quite fast. So that within, like among ourselves, we are pushing very hard towards that direction of uh, reclamation and 
redefining things, but it sometimes feels like we are in a silo or we are in a bubble and nobody else is listening, uh, which is, which is problematic, uh, in, in some way, because it, I'm just, I'm just always worried that we would just keep on casting away until we have nothing to do with the society or we don't mm. even have any channels to communicate with the society because the society sees us for real as queer and strange and abnormal and, you know, outsiders. I'm worried that we will stay as outsiders forever. Mm. Uh, so that's why it's very important to engage uh, the public. I mean, of course, that will come at cost. Mm. Uh, will come with a lot of hate, a lot of rejection, a lot of attacks. But what do you think about these like regular people who just keep quiet and keep to themselves? Do you think this notion of of or these like um, very conservative views on queerness are they the norm in Egypt or in the Middle East or North Africa? Does the regular person really think in their hearts that it's abnormal and it's something that shouldn't exist? Or is there a majority of people who just stay quiet because either they're scared or worried or they, they it's not touching them as an issue? Or are there other more sort of more, so to say, so to speak, more pressing issues right now because of all of the aftermath of the Arab Spring and everything? Like why, why... Why is the conversation so se- segregated from the larger society? Um, well, I think it's a combination of all of the reasons you mentioned. Plus, um, I can go back with time uh, and remember when I was a baby queer who had no idea about um, their identity. And I was like, okay, well, so I don't have any written text that could help me through uh, the journey of identifying myself or who am I. Um, there are no people around me who look like me or think like me. Uh, and that what keeps people quite isolated. And I think it's still the same situation because access to knowledge is kind of a privilege in some way, despite having the internet, because there is not much information out there written in Arabic. And I remember myself when I was um, 16, I only spoke Arabic. And when I was 19, I only spoke Arabic. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of came to me late um, because of uh, not having um, the skill or the, I couldn't speak English. Uh, and and it kind of hindered me from finding who I am. Uh, plus, right now there is a lot of prohibition on anything queer in Egypt uh, and the region in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's becoming more and more as a stigma, and yeah, given the raids and attacks on queer people in the past years. So, yeah, it's, I think it's quite complicated for many people coming from different contexts because context matter. I mean, if I was someone who grew up 
in Sweden or Finland, um, I would be, I would have been someone completely different than who I am today. Mm -hmm. Of course, I would have, I would have taken a lot of things for granted because I, I would, have, would have been able to tell if this is the norm or not. I would have considered this openness and access to knowledge as the norm, that mm. it's not yeah. uh, in Egypt. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to access knowledge, to find people that you can identify with or content online or anything. It's very difficult. Exactly. Yeah, that uh, that is a human right as well, and mm -hmm. how how they are display uh, in the different contexts is of course a big matter of how information is distributed. Recently, I think there's been at least well, of course, we are in the uh, Nordics, which is uh, doesn't censure things online, but there's a lot of uh, things happening in Arabic. In um, in the social media, for example, with regard to LGBTQ issues, and um, and uh, do you see that when you said before that it's kind of a bubble where you work? So, do these issues are they raised mainly in diaspora, or is there people who who work in the region, in the Arab region, as kind of um, in clandestine clandestine diner yeah i think there is a lot of efforts I'm, i'm actually quite impressed because i can find a lot of content in arabic uh maybe it's not as popular because it will take time for people to normalize such thing because we are just pus pushing towards normalization and once we are there we'll be able to create more and more and more and raise more awareness so i see a lot of content on instagram and tiktok creating awareness uh about being queer uh being gay being lesbian gender norms um uh, gender expression sexuality there is a lot um and people are becoming or like the youngsters are becoming more attracted to this kind of content uh, because you can engage with it it's not just like it is what it is and you just need to submit to that but it's not um it's more engaging and more interactive uh and it's it's a matter of time uh, i think but i'm always worried about um the big majority of the population i would say egypt because that's the context i come from not being able to understand any of that or make sense of it mm. because they didn't have any kind of formation that enables them to think and question and and that's that's something difficult to navigate yeah i remember this uh, like just recently it was last year that there was uh this uh uh tv Uh, talk about uh, an actor whose whose ch child uh, was tr trans or is trans, and it was public or it was kind of a, a more normatively displayed on a public TV channel. Do you remember that case? Yes, and do course. you think that would like <laughs> this? Uh, do you th maybe little by little more people come kind of also have more courage to come out also in this very normative, heteronormative and uh, binary um, circumstances. Yeah, of course, it's opening the door uh, or it it did open the door. So, uh, yeah, of course, it's, it's, 
it's a really strong and brave step uh, from uh, Nur Selim. Yet, um, I think he is also aware of that, and a lot of our trans activists, like Malik al Kashif, is aware of that as well. Um, that the society is more likely to accept someone doing a transition from female to male than a male to female because it's kind of like you are giving away your privilege mm. in going to this very you know mm -hmm. like the, the second class citizen status which is well being a woman is somehow a second class citizen status in the society or as per society uh thinking so that that is one thing um yet that is like so it, it can come in an, in a hierarchy so it's female to male more accepted than i wouldn't say male to female is accepted so it's kind of difficult i don't know because i'm not a person like i'm not a trans person myself so i cannot talk on behalf but I know that it's slightly discussable. I wouldn't say safer. Mm. I wouldn't say more accepted, but I would say discussable. But being gay, being queer or lesbian or whatever, no, mm. no, not at all. That's interesting. Like why, 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 why is it so? Because it's we are still sticking to the binaries. Like if mm. you think about it, as long as you are going from a binary, from, from one leg of a binary to another leg of a binary, then it should be, uh, in a way, uh, you need to try so hard. Maybe it takes you decades to prove it. But after all, it's like a normative thing to the society because like you need to go from here to there, you know? So if Noor, for example, uh, decided no like i mean decided to come out as gay as mm -hmm. a man i think that would have a lot of terrible backlashes but nor doesn't talk about his sexuality and mm -hmm. um, i don't know or mm -hmm. maybe the society doesn't know about his sexuality and maybe it's not that important uh, as long as they don't talk about it because that, that's also another thing in the society that okay you can be this but don't talk about it mm -hmm. you know it, it, it treat it as a sin you don't talk about a sin it is a sin <laughs> just don't talk about it mm -hmm. do it don't talk about it and one day that will show you the light mm. yeah that's it okay so i have a question about religion so the the interpretation of islam in in egypt and in most of the, the other countries as well in the region is quite severe on anybody who's outside the norm. So how do you, how do you, like, what's your relationship to religion and how do you make sense of it? Well, I don't really have a strong relationship with religion. <laughs> Maybe I don't have any. Uh, well, I used to, though. Um, so I, I understand. Mm. Um the influence of religion, or I mean, the 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 contextual religion 
because after all, it's context-based mm. um, and it's culture-based. I know it's influential. I know a lot of the texts in, in Islam uh, and scriptures used to condemn homosexuality and being queer or being more feminine if, if I were a guy or being um, masculine if I were a woman. Like all of these uh, scriptures are used to uh, stigmatize uh, non-normative people. Um, but there is also some efforts from um, queers of faith who want to kind of push in the direction of creating another interpretation of religion so they can stay as people of faith, but also queer. So, yeah, I mean, societally, of course, it's, it's, it attributes and, and it, it adds to the problem, of course, mm -hmm. because there is a, the generic idea of religion and there is the religious institution that has strong influence uh, on the people and there is the the state platforms that also incite against queer people so there's so much influence coming from huge institutions and also coming from uh, upbringing coming from family and and it, there is so much there's so much to resist um and yeah and and confront yeah and it seems like uh the interpretations or the new interpretations or the queer interpretations of the islamic uh, uh scriptures come mainly from uh, uh, queer muslims outside the region it seems i mean i don't think that the ones inside can say much because they will end up in jail and nobody wants to so I, I know that there are interpretations from people living in the West or people who fled the country. Uh, and there are people who actually believe in, in other interpretations while still being in Egypt, but they're not vocal. Yeah. Mm. And that doesn't cancel their no, existence. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, because this is, this is the part that kind of makes me a little bit sad is when a person is already going through a lot in a very conservative society when if they identify as queer and then to some people they might find comfort in God or in religion or in tradition or in I don't know whatever like God is important to a lot of people and then to not be able to have that because the interpretation is that God hates you you know it's kind of sad it shouldn't be that way and it should be like to me that almost seems like one of the most important discussions to have to not make people have to choose after mm -hmm. such a big identity uh, a process of identity to to then have to make another decision of like first it's your gender then it's your sexuality and then it's like you're not even allowed to have a god kind of thing <laughs> or then you have to kind of reimagine the whole relationship the whole, yeah and like it's like you're not a pre a, um, priest or any mom or a rabbi you don't have the tools for that and then you have to like get into a big religious conversation mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes it denies your entire identity as well it's not just the religion yeah because, yeah they're always accusing queer people of being spies or being i don't know uh, conspiracy from the west or whatever mm. and yeah it's 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 so scary because i mean 
in addition to not having anything to identify with in my culture or not much to identify with in my culture and the hate and also uh, the denial or denying me my identity of being Egyptian or being able to come back to my home country if I was vocal or being able to be accepted in my family if Mm-hmm. if I, I would ever come back to Egypt. Uh, so it's it, it's not just religions, like every every identity that you you claim or you learned about or you identify with is denied. Mm. Yeah. So uh, uh, do you follow a lot, a lot of the events happening out in the region, in the Arab countries uh, besides Egypt? And do you see that some of some places would be more liberal in 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 general there's like cultural uh, things that happen for example the my cali magazine coming from jordan or uh the queer band mashua leila or you know things like that or the movies that are somehow many of them have a sub uh, plot which could be interpreted uh, queerly as well like there's like different cultural things are happening Yeah, but there are initiatives that are done from abroad. My Cali, well, I know that the the founder of My Cali doesn't live in Jordan, for example. Mm. I know that there are a lot of efforts being done from abroad for safety reasons, and I understand that. Except Tunisia, maybe, and it's still very difficult for them to to operate because there's still a lot of discrimination. But it is the. the best worst case scenario if that makes sense mm. so i would say tunisia is the only thing but the rest of the region there are there are a lot of um, political instabilities that kind of also empowers dictatorships to oppress minorities uh of different kinds so um i'm not sure if there is any place at all that can be called liberal in the region mm. really, because in a way or another some identity will intersect with the other and it's kind of like that oh no we don't like these people oh yeah you're queer but th- no we don't <laughs> like you mm, no yeah. so yeah it's, it's it's quite complicated it's quite complicated i think it's uh uh yeah it maybe it's a matter of time maybe it will take some time to change but right now I don't think that there is a place to live mm. in as queer, intersectional and safe. You know, in um, Finland as well as in Sweden, they have a lot of these far right political parties now and their agenda one of their biggest agenda is to talk about how homophobic the the whole middle e- middle eastern region is and so if we let uh muslim homophobes into the nordic countries they're going to come here and you know take us back take back all the the progress we've made in in the west and up north So how do you navigate doing what you do uh, in Sweden and not kind of play? Because that's my big worry whenever I I work around, you know, 
like even this issue that we're talking about today, I don't know, like female genital mutilation, you know, um, I don't know, all kinds of big issues that I'm afraid that if I'm I'm vocal about them, I participate in the discussion as an activist, as as a journalist, I'm going to kind of play it play into I'm going to kind of feed into the far right parties I'm going to be interpreted as someone who's on their side how do you navigate that space well it it was uh, the context when I first came to Sweden because I was quite bitter about religion and about my culture and about everybody that identifies as Arab uh, Muslim um, because of my experience that was quite bad. Um, but I mean, first of all, I mean, we cannot compare a minority group to a majority. For example, in Egypt, the majority was Muslim and conservative. And yeah, well, uh, yeah, they, they had so much power because they are more and they are in every part of all institutions. I cannot compare institutional oppression to individual oppression. Yes, it could be bad. Mm -hmm. Depends on the level and depends on so many other factors. I mean, uh, well, in Sweden, I've never experienced any homophobic reaction from uh, people who identifies identify as Arab or Muslim or who are heterosexual and cisgender, but I experienced that from other Swedish white people. Mm. I was holding hands with my girlfriend uh, in the central station on Pride and a guy passed by and insulted us. So, I mean, homophobia is everywhere. Mm. But the thing is, is it institutional? Is it minorities versus majority what what is what is what is the structure because power structure matters a lot mm-hmm. and it's not those individuals who fled war or who fled terror will come and create a mess maybe of course they will be attached to whatever they were at they will try to reconstruct it in a way but after all they are a minority mm. after all generation after a generation things will change. It's a matter of time. It's like nobody has patience for people, newcomers to take their time and absorb all the information coming at them. It takes time. I I understand that. I know people here who change completely 180 degrees Mm. from extreme, no, uh, queer, homosexuals, no, we don't like them to, oh yeah, it's it's not my business. Mm. That happens. Change takes time. Mm. But institutionalized oppression is way way more strong than this like Mm. small groups oppression so it can be compared to it Mm. Mm. that's right so talking about the swedish context uh how do you uh, uh see yourself do you uh, work actively in the lgbtq community there or community communities um no i don't uh and i don't because I'm not considered as part of it. Um, it's quite separatist here. It's quite, um, 
um, self-involved in a way and inter they are usually interacting with people like me. Oh, the newcomers come here. Like it's kind of more of like a sympathy interaction, not an inclusive interaction. Hmm. And I have to be this like in these boxes in order to fit in into the Swedish queer community and be active. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's a place where I could fit in for so many reasons. Could be a language barrier, but why should I have, why should I speak Swedish if I want to represent a minority? Hmm. I mean, we all have this base of, like we communicate well in English. Why not just let people coming from different backgrounds speak the language that is more universal and accept people come, like coming from different backgrounds. And as long as, I mean, the bare minimum is like the English language, but to be more inclusive, you should also include the Arabic language or mm -hmm. Persian or any other language of mm -hmm. any other minority, Kurdish, whatever. Yeah. But, but this is not the situation here. Do, do you think there's also something to do with, um, with, uh, uh, kind of Arabophobia or Islamophobia, and especially reflecting on the Sarah Hegazi case, uh, she had to flee to Canada and she felt very alienated also in the queer spaces there. And she was uh, she was fleeing from Egypt because of uh, persecution because she was queer. And so, uh, how so do you see the situation of queer Arabs in diaspora in general? That could be it, but also elitism. There is a high level of elitism in here. People think that they are better. Like queer people here think that they are better. They can't speak on your behalf. Uh, they think they're better because they're white or? <laughs> no, not necessarily. Actually, there are second generation people who think that they are better just because they grew up here. Mm -hmm. and these, they, they have more linguistic skills than you do. So the social capital in a way as well. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think that they are fully aware of this problem. Um, but they always end up going in that direction and pushing away. Or, I mean, even, <clears throat> even if they would take someone queer to speak about whatever topic from, I don't know, the region they come from or the country they come from, it's portrayed like, uh, it's portrayed as an alien, this person, you know? Like this, okay, look at this exotic person coming from this exotic place talking about their exotic context. So exotification is also a problem here, maybe because there are not many generations coming from that part of the world. Could be, maybe it's because it's a country with small migration, like a, a small population of migrants or immigrants or refugees, whatever. Mm. There are many things that attribute to the scene or the, the end result of the situation here. And uh, I try to understand, of course, but at the same time, the end result is me uh, not being able to interact much with with my context here, with with the queer activists here. Um, yeah, the, I mean, that's a lot. That's a big topic because there are friends of mine as well who live here and they are from other European countries and still cannot penetrate this mm. bubble. They have, they're kind of being pushed away mm. because they want the narrative to be something in specific. Mm. You know, it's like the, I mean, during the revolution, there it's, it's kind of far uh, example, but it could make sense. Uh, like it, during the revolution, there were a lot of leftist chants as like, 
liberty, uh, equity, uh, blah, 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 but then, and social justice, but then when it came to feminism, like I'm not that important. Mm. Yeah, so it feels the same. It's kind of uh, your identity, not that important. Or uh, you came from uh, like it's it's either taking a direction of, oh, you cannot speak like that about your own country because that will feed into the uh, right wing agenda. Yes, it could. But the thing is, these people need to speak. Mm. Either they were with or against. Exactly. They need to be able to to let their voices be heard, because what happens is actually that right-wing organizations and right-wing parties take these people and let them speak through their platforms mm. which yep. is even worse mm. yep. that doesn't allow criticism in a way yeah it, it's really interesting to hear this because from finland we always look at sweden like oh they are so progressive and they include everybody <laughs> and they don't have these we have these weird bubbles and weird issues here and like the 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 gay community is super transphobic and super racist and then there's this black community and the brown community and then this these like the roma people and this and that and everybody's in a bubble but then it sounds like Like it's something quite humane that happens everywhere. Yeah, it happens everywhere, and and it requires a lot of work. Mm. Yeah, and like these social movements, they also have a norm in, them, in themselves. Mm. So although there's a maybe uh, they try to be as inclusive as possible, but still there's a, some kind of a norm is constructed how a revolutionary should look like or how a queer person in Sweden should look like. Yeah. So, and how this person should speak like and what language is used, what yeah. terminologies are used, are they academics or not? Mm. Are they well-spoken or not? Uh, do they have this merits or not? Do they come from this socioeconomic background? Because maybe it's not direct, like they don't ask you this question, but you're scanned by that, yeah. by these parameters. Like, mm, 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 you're in. Mm, mm, no, 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 too Arabic, too, too, too di- diaspora. <laughs> We don't want that. We need someone who look like us. People need to relate. And, but this is like, it feels also subconscious, like the subconscious, I don't know if that's a word, but comes from the subconscious yeah. maybe they are not fully aware of this it's but implicit this is yeah. implicit exactly. yeah yeah so have you yourself found a place in sweden or like found your people around you do you feel how do you feel there it's been a long journey <laughs> and very hard um but bit by bit i'm finding more queer people who are not from Sweden. <laughs> so more yeah. queer people from outside Sweden who came to Sweden. So I either, like you can call them expats, uh, migrants, uh, people who, I don't know, left from whatever country they came from to live in Sweden for whatever reason, not necessarily, it could be someone European as well. Mm. Uh, but Swedish, no. But, because also there is another aspect to the culture. The culture here is quite, distancing mm. everybody is dis- distancing everybody which is something that doesn't allow um communication in that way and sometimes yeah people try like swedish people try um to connect with you but usually there is the 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 social 
norms here kind of hinder them from connecting with you because yeah it just becomes weird to to connect mm. and you have to connect through certain contexts mm. and if you don't fit into any of those contexts then you will not have a chance mm. yeah it seems a bit similar here maybe I think I, so. people can kind of relate to that maybe as well i think so yeah. So, and, and and my big worry is that this case that we had with uh, Sarah Hagazi is not going to be the only one. Like pe- this is a question of mental health and life and death for people. This distancing and this exclusion. So it's not just about you know not finding friends immediately. It's people that come from very traumatic backgrounds and then they're not allowed to come in. They're not offered support into their commun their own communities. So what would you say to these? kids arab background kids in the diaspora who might be living all over the nordics and europe and thinking about their gender and identity in, in general how what would you what would you tell them uh well uh, it's it depends on at what age they came because i know some people um kids from the diaspora who live in sweden for example who came from egypt but they are getting along very well because they went to Swedish schools, they made friends like, like the traditional way of like making friends in Sweden. So yeah, the younger, the better, uh, because also language helps a lot. Um, and speaking the language as everybody else helps a lot, because it's also like within the Swedish society, it's kind of classes, actually it is classes. Mm-hmm. So I mean, some people who live in the in the suburbs, they have a specific way of speaking and they're kind of excluded mm-hmm. in a way. Not that welcomed, like not rejected, not to- no. totally rejected, but not welcomed. So, I mean, coming here in an older age actually is, is the most difficult thing, uh, I believe. Because when you come here, you come from like, or you come at a point in your life that you know things around you, you know, you, you're familiar with your context, and then you are forced to leave, which is different from wanting to leave, it's different. If I wanted, if, if I'm someone who wanted to leave the country for whatever reason, I should take the consequences. But if I have to leave and I don't have any chance to come back, that's another issue. Mm-hmm. because sometimes there's some sort of rehabilitation and recovery when you live in a country like the Nordics and go back to your con- uh, to your home country and then travel back to the Nordics. It helps kind of to regain your energy and feel connected. But if you can't go back, that's the problem. And that was the situation with Sarah. Mm-hmm. That's the situation with me. Mm-hmm. I can't come back. And when you can't come back to what you are familiar with, then you feel stuck in your situation wherever you are. And if the society where you are does not accept you on top of that, like it's not like you are experiencing like a homophobia in your home country, but now you're experiencing racism. Mm-hmm. You're experiencing classism, elitism, colorism, institutionalized racism as well on top of that. And xenophobia. I mean, you go from one sharp point to the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, so of course, it's it's uh, 
it's 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 dependent on so many factors but mainly if you are unable to go back to your country or to something that you are familiar with and you know that you're stuck somewhere it impacts you massively mm. yeah it's what how you told about your uh, like uh, intersections also how they affect how you can adapt to a place it's it's very uh, vivid and very strong and i was just wondering maybe at the end we have to close the interview uh, soon but i would like <laughs> We're to like 35 minutes over <laughs> yes but it's been really really super um nice to talk to you but uh, i would like to know if you have um not being able to go back but what gives you uh strength what gives you hope in your everyday life and and in general to like work as an activist as well uh well what gives me hope is when people text me or like send messages to me and tell me uh thank you for being there we need people like you to talk that gives me hope or when i see a lot of like when i observe social media which is the only thing i can observe right now To, to to see how it is in my home country and see that people are making a lot of progress uh and personally i feel good when i'm surrounded by people that i love and who love me back um and i think this is the struggle i think uh well i see i think a lot because finding love is is very important finding love and being accepted even in a small circle is quite important. Um, it could be heavy if you have a partner who who takes the entire burden of you not having a family, um, not being able to connect with people, so they replace friends and they replace family. So it becomes really heavy if you choose a partner and they choose you back, of course, and they have to take all of that on their shoulder, but I think this helps a lot. Mm. Helps a lot, and uh, I'm I'm quite grateful because that helped me and helped my mental health uh, mm. drastically. Yeah, and I'm happy that you have found also love, and uh, many queer people also talk about kind of a chosen family. So in a way, you have to rebuild your mm. circle. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So Dalia, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, and I'm really, really, we're really, really glad that you took the time to talk to us, and hopefully we will, we can be keep keep in touch. Of course, would love to. Thank you so much yeah. for having. Thank you for being there, and thank you for doing all the work. Exactly. Thank, thank you, you for so existing. <laughs> Maybe after Corona time, we can finally make we'll a trip travel. to yes. <laughs> Stockholm. Or are you are you staying in Stockholm? Or I live in Stockholm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or we'll you... see you in 2035 when this <laughs> no! pandemic is over. <laughs> no! And <laughs> no, we're stop. grannies or what? I yeah. close. Come on, I can go to the boat. <laughs> well, we're so old, we'll meet in our wheelchairs <laughs> and gray hair. <laughs> no, I, I'm more hopeful than that. Yeah, I mean, but I was just watching the news this morning and they're starting to make these. You have to have a corona test if you travel to Sweden yeah. now and you ha- it has... What? To be less than 48 hours old. I mean, also Italian, I think, or in Estonia. I think yeah, I think just, everywhere, yeah. like around it's the region. everywhere, but it, it feels like a business. That's politics now. We yeah. shouldn't talk politics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you are always welcome to Helsinki when all of this is over as well. Yes, <laughs> please come. <laughs> Thank you, Coco. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you.
Thank you, Mona. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Tämän jakson lopuksi me kuullaan runo 1010-luvulta. Tämän on kirjoittanut Aisha bint Ahmad al-Kortubiya. I am a lioness and I will never be a man's woman. If I had to choose a mate, why should I say yes to a dog when I'm deaf to lions? Kiitos Jaksomedialle studiosta ja Nora Saedille sarjan visuaalisesta maailmasta. Kiitos Ruskeatytöt medialle alustan tarjoamisesta keskustelulle. Kiitos myös Suomen kulttuurirahastolle apurahasta. Jatketaan keskustelua Ruskeatytöt median somekanavissa hashtagillä Parfyymin tuulahdussa.